Welcome to the We Are SE podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined today by a, a couple of people. We have Greg Katz here. We also have Daryl Rideau. Uh, we're going to jump right into talking about USC spring ball, and it's been a little bit of a break. Got off to a hot start. Um, a, a lot of kind of uh, forward momentum being built, and, and I know we all sort of liked what we saw. And so we're going to take just a second. We've had a few days off now, spring break here. And go back and just take a look at the, the first week, the first three practices, and, and kind of uh, give, give a little bit of, rev, of a review, maybe a couple things, again, just to jog everybody's mind of what stood out to you. Daryl, I know you were at a couple of them, and, and curious, um, I know we've talked a little bit uh, about what stood out, but, but again, curious to hear, Daryl, just a, a couple kind of overarching thoughts uh, about those first three practices, the first week of spring ball. Well, first and foremost, uh, considering all of the changes that were occurring during the offseason with respect to Clay Heldon and the um, the new alignment of his coaching staff, bringing in a new offensive coordinator, a defensive line coach, um, secondary, making a lot of wholesale changes, shifting guys to what I would believe to be coaching positions that meet and fits their resume when coming in as opposed to the dysfunction and the, uh, the chaos that loomed around the program last year, I was primarily intrigued to see what would that dynamic look like. And with Clay Helton taking a step back and saying that he's going to be, quote-unquote, more of um, an administrator of the program as opposed to hands-on on the offensive side, how long would it take for him to meddle or to uh, put his two cents in um, in terms of how the how the offense would be running and operating, I was pleasantly surprised that he did take a step back, allowed his two offensive coordinators, Clancy Pendergast and Graham Harrell, to operate, orchestrate, and run it the way that they saw best fit. So for me, the, the first thing was just how efficient the offense appeared to be running. And the second thing is, I guess my takeaway out of three was – I expected to see much of the same last year. There's a lot of talk about a new, uh, with, with Graham Harrell being the new offense coordinator, Eric, coming in. I thought that there would be a heavy emphasis on a quarterback competition. And while that seems to be the case, it really doesn't, it's not an outlier. It appears as though that that competition is in the fabric and framework of competition across the board. So just watching the tempo of practice, the spirit of how guys are competing, ones versus ones or ones versus twos, I got the sense that there was competition across the board. And then lastly, um, I was really impressed with the maturation of, of Devin Williams as a receiver coming back in an offense where he wasn't featured last year. I would it would it would be hard pressed for me to see him not be a key factor considering how he's starting to really blossom and come into his own. This kid is the next coming of a Mike Williams in terms of how Mike matured from his first year into a second year. This kid is going to be a dominating force in the red zone. Overall, my takeaway was um, more optimistic than I came in with. I was expecting to, you know, pick holes at the program, but right now, like I said, I think the arrow is trending up. Uh, and Greg, I know you haven't been able to be there yet. I, I know chomping at the bit to get out to practice here, uh, but but always eyes and ears on USC. And and I'm curious what you were able to take away again from from that first week. What what is standing out to you so far? 
Well, you know, I, I watched all the interviews, the interv- and, and I actually talked with some people I consider high-level sources that were there. And uh, the takeaways that I got from it was is that there's a, a great uh, sense of optimism. Uh, I think Trojan fans is probably cautious optimism, but the players are excited. That's what they do. They want to play football. Um, you know, in terms of the competition, a quarterback, uh, you know, if you took all the uniform numbers off the players, then you didn't know who was whom. Uh, you could say you couldn't tell the difference, uh, which is a good thing. It's okay. It's it's early on. Uh, and to echo uh, what Daryl said, um, I was told by a former uh, head coach at the uh, Division One level that uh, Devin Williams is a superstar in the making, and uh, I took that as uh, a real positive. Now I saw Devin, uh, you know, when he was in high school and the sense was that this guy could be an unstoppable force, which is a good thing. I think also uh, the fact uh, that the new coaches seem to be bonding well, especially Greg Burns. I like that when Burns told his, you know, told his group that, you know what, I came through the Pete Carroll era. I know I've been here when things were in the glory years, and uh, you know our job is to get back to it. And I think the players will listen to it. I think maybe of all the coaches that have come on, uh, in my opinion – uh, from what word I'm getting, the two uh, ones are uh, Coach K on the defensive line there, and uh, also with uh, Greg Burns is making a big difference early on because they need to sell themselves so the players will go. And I'll give I'll give Helton credit. You know he's uh, you know he's tried to stay out of the mix uh, in the first three uh, practice sessions. He, he has done that. So uh, you know it's just the first week i don't think you can come into any general conclusions in terms of competition and who's going where but it was a really solid uh, and important beginning and uh, the next 13 practices uh, 12 practices are going to be really critical especially those scrimmages that are coming up yeah i agree i mean the the devin williams thing he has jumped out but i'll go a step further than that and just say th- those four wide receivers, um, the, the guys with experience. Again, you're talking about Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devin Williams. I, I think uh, of any of them, you know, you think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to come in and really uh, build on what he was able to do. He's been, you know, quiet, but you you know that's there, that it's not a, a worry. But the other three, I, I don't think it's a stretch to maybe say that they had the, the best practices of those first three. Um, and, and the wide receivers have been phenomenal. And then for me, another takeaway is uh, Graham Harrell, what he's been able to do coming in. This isn't a, a 60, 65-year-old you know, offensive coordinator vet that's been around forever and everyone's just you know, automatically going to listen because he's done it all and won it all. And that This is a young guy coming in, and the way he has been able – to uh, immediately establish authority with within the, the program as a whole, within the offensive roster, within the coaching staff, and really just say, look, this is how we do things. You don't have to do a whole lot. You just have to do these things right. And I think it gives you uh, – we, we talk about a lot about philosophy, and you need to have a philosophy. I think it gives you a target, a, an easy target to hit where you say, that's all I have to do. That's all I have to focus on. And I really think what we've seen from the offense, again, it's, it's, we're, we're talking about the first three days. They don't have the entire offense in. They're going against a defense that doesn't have the entire defense in. But it has seemed so smooth, the transition. Yeah. Everybody knows what they're doing 
every step of the way. I don't know if you could have started better. I mean, there was a chance when you're talking about putting in a whole new system, there were thoughts you could go out on that first day and there's no completed passes because nobody has any idea what they're doing. I mean, granted, these guys have played football for long enough uh, that, that you're probably not going to see them. But again, anything was kind of on the table with sure. coming in and putting something like this in. So I've been kind of blown away so far with how he has right. handled himself and established himself quickly as a guy where, again, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience coaching. I mean, it's, it's a handful of years. But at this point, people are deferring to him, you know, like he's Tom Landry, you know, uh, Vince Lombardi. Like he, he's a name like that who's come in. And, and I don't think it's hyperbole to say that, that this is his offense and he has really done a good job early. I, I am totally impressed. And I don't think there's a lot of people who are at practice that haven't been blown away by him. Uh, and then we've spent a lot of time on the offense side of the ball. Uh, the, the defensive line, to me, I think um, hearing Coach K talk a little bit about – he was very careful not to say these are the offensive – or the sorry, the defensive lines from Utah that had so many NFL guys that he coached. He's not saying these are definite NFL guys, but he certainly is hinting at this group has the potential to be one of the better lines that he's coached that there's the potential there. And I think what we've seen from them uh, so far has been impressive. I think everyone in that group is, is taking that next step. And I've, again, the way I, I spoke about Graham Harold is kind of the same way. I'm going to talk about Drake Jackson, a true freshman who's come in and he has really helped elevate that group. And I think it's not surprising that he's done well, but, but it might be a little bit surprising to see a true freshman, I think, is going to elevate kind of the, the maturation and the uh, overall talent level um, yeah. of a group like that. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that um, because I do think that that last year, I think that the defensive line was overshadowed the production of the interior portion of the defensive line was overshadowed by just the inept or lack of pressure that, that the Trojans defensively was a, was unable to obtain on a consistent basis when Port Augustine went down. But, but with that being said, um, if I can just kind of quickly go back, because I, I want to comment on something you said about Graham Harrell, and, and also I, I think what stood out to me was you mentioned that it could have easily have been a train wreck for those first three practices. And, and becoming great at a few things as opposed to throwing in a ton of new information, new offensive concepts and scheme that, that quite frankly, slows players down because they have to overthink and, and overanalyze situations. But the one observation that I took away from this, uh, Greg and Coach, was that it appeared as though that these wide receivers are running positionless uh, or um, actually positionless. And what I mean by that is – for the first time in, in a number of years, I've seen Michael Pittman Jr. in the slot. And I've also seen Tyler Vaughn in the slot, uh, an area that normally Amon Ross St. Brown is occupied. But these guys are um, interchangeable. And what that tells me is that we're not going to see a one-sided dominant player where teams can roll coverages. They can create mix, – they can mix and match their lineups simply because – 
each receiver will be held accountable for understanding what all four spots are responsible for. That's going to make this offense excel and potentially reach its potential. And I say potentially reach it because it's only three days and we haven't seen them under duress yet and how they're going to react to that. But if this is any indication of simplifying things so that we can actually showcase the talent, the same thing can be reflected on the defensive side, as you alluded to. Yeah, and so with those three days, now let's go ahead and flip forward and look at the next 12. They get this spring break here. going to hit the practice field uh, this coming Tuesday. And then we're starting to ramp up Saturday scrimmages. Uh, and then we're going to get through the rest of spring ball. Greg, starting with you. What, what are you looking forward to? I mean, what, what do you want to see the rest of spring? Now we've got this taste to kind of get a sense of, okay, this is, this is how it's looked so far. This is what we're getting into a little bit. What do you either expect to see or hope to see or, or think we'll see the rest of the way through spring? Well, just in a general overall perspective, I'm, I'm looking to see what the offense looks like. Um, you know, I know what the bits and pieces of it look like. I want to see it in a scrimmage. I want to see it functioning against a live uh, defense that, uh, you know, will, will blitz and do all those sorts of things. And I want to see how each quarterback, uh, you know, uh, does it. I want to see how the offensive line blocks. I mean, it's a whole different thing for Tim Drevno, the offensive line coach. You know, he's been a former pro-style uh, offensive line coach. Now he's coaching a little different philosophy. And I think, uh, again, hitting what both of you said, you know, Graham Harrell is young, but so is Sean McVay with the Rams. And I'm not saying that uh, Graham is Sean McVay yet. But, you know, you have to sell your other coaches that you're coaching with on that side of the ball be, to make them believers of you. And I think uh, based on the information that's coming in, uh, you know, he's made big steps to that. I want to see how he takes command in the, in, the, in the scrimmages. Also, on the defensive end, I'm really curious to see how uh, John Houston does it uh, – taking over for Cameron Smith. And I'm anxious to see how Niachi um, uh, Ote, Ote uh, moved to the outside, How what impact he has. I want to see, uh, as an example, uh, Raymond Scott. I mean, how, can he really play a safety position when he's really a linebacker? And that's not a negative. It's the intrigue of seeing how these guys, especially the ones that switch positions, whether you know they're in a, a spot that really brings out the best. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, the unknown is exciting. And uh, I want to see them keep up the intensity. And I want to see when there's officials in the scrimmages, I want to see that we don't start making penalties. And I want to see what happens later as we move on through the course of spring ball, just how uh, the coaches address players that, uh, that are repeat penalty offenders. Yeah, I think the intensity... Uh, like you mentioned, is going to be interesting going forward. It, it's easy to come out those first couple days. I mean, especially the first two days where you're not wearing pads. I mean, it, you haven't played in a while. You're you're geeked up to get out there. Uh, once things start going and you get in this routine of, you know, be, being physical, wearing pads, and getting out there for a bunch of practices in a row, and again, they, they don't ever go back-to-back -back days, but it can wear on you a little bit. And I think the the intensity – that we've seen so far. I, I don't think it's manufactured. I think it's pretty organic and, and it will be, like you said, interesting to see if that keeps up because again, in spring, you're, you're not, you know, at, at the end of spring, you don't say, okay, that's exactly what the team's going to look like this year. There, there's still a lot of maturation to go through with players. 
all summer and then through fall camp and, and then into the start of the season. But you do get a sense of kind of the the mentality of the team, uh, the way it's coming out. And I think right now the intensity is nice. And, and looking at it going forward, that's something that you want to see um, re- really keep up. Daryl, a- any thoughts about kind of looking forward at, at the rest of spring ball? With, with so many injuries in the secondary, and I'm intrigued to see what USC defensively does to fill those bodies to get enough healthy guys to actually put on film, at least leaving uh, spring, a competitive practice or competitive practices that allows the defense to grow and progress. I almost feel like with so many injuries at the safety position in particular, it could stunt the growth very similar to how the quarterback competition last year impacted the offense's ability to really kind of progress and move forward. Um, the, the, the other intriguing thing is, where is the pass rush going to come from? Guys like Malik Jackson, this other incoming um, uh, defensive, uh, defensive lineman, Fig- uh, Figueroa, these are two nice stout bodies that, that clearly come in with an arsenal. Will we see that showcased in any time during the spring where we say, okay, we can depend upon them? Or will the transition coming in overwhelm them? These are some of the questions that may not be answered, but I'm more intrigued by what happens the first time offensively, the defense starts to put in their pressure packages and the offense face adversity. Do they revert back to old habits or does Graham Harrell call a, a timeout, stop practice and gets, gets in them? Or do, do they just kind of allow, you know, bad things to continue to happen and the offense to, to progress or regress back to its habits from last year. So yeah, so many I, things that, that I think moving forward, I'm hoping that they're in situations where these things can become revealed, Eric. Yeah. I, I, I like a lot of what you guys said, the, the quarterback thing. I mean, we, we talked about how the quarterback competition doesn't feel forced, but, but it's certainly still going on. And I think watching how they go, uh, Clay Helton specifically mentioned the three guys that you assume are, are in the battle that, you know, uh, Keaton Slovis probably not in there with, with Fink and Sears and, and uh, JT Daniels, but no interceptions uh, for those three older guys so far. And you want to see not necessarily if they can go the whole way without throwing an interception, but sort of how much control they can take over the offense. When Graham Harold talked to us before spring ball started, he said he gives his quarterbacks a lot of leeway. He, get, he, he will call the play. Um, but if they see something and they can sort of defend why they did that, he's fine if they go ahead and go with it. So I think seeing how much command they take of the offense throughout the rest of the spring and really kind of playing unafraid of losing the job and, and rather going out and really trying to win it, I think I want to see. And then going flipping to the defensive backfield, you mentioned the safeties, and we talked about this a little bit last year. I, I love the fact that the two guys that are the, the potential starters at safety, Talanoa Fonga and, and Isaiah Polmau, they're wearing the, the yellow non-contact, but they're out there. They're taking a ton of reps. They're, they're not taking physical reps while they rehab uh, the, the shoulder injuries, but they're out there and they're playing. And so you do get a sense, again, if they're not playing in the scrimmages, you are losing those in-game sort of physical reps where you're talking about communication and how things work. But I do like, and you mentioned too, that you liked that they're getting some of that. Staying in the secondary for me, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, you know, Elijah Griffin is going to be fine. Um, the way he played last year, I think he has a chance 
to really step up. And he's not there in the spring right now because he's coming back from a, a surgery. But Isaac Taylor Stewart is taking so many reps. If you can come out of spring confident in him at yes. your other cornerback spot, I, I think that gives you a boost where you're talking about numbers being way down in the secondary. If you can come out of spring really confident in those two guys, and I think you're seeing a lot of Chase Williams too, I, I think it's a little bit like the rest of the team where you're starting to lock in on, on being really confident in a lot of the starters. What you get from the backups is obviously going to determine right. how well this team plays and how well they can compete right. week in and week out. But, but Eric, you, you mentioned something about um, Isaac Taylor Stewart. You know what I really appreciate what this coach's staff has done? Um, I believe that truly he is going to be a right corner or um, flexed out against the split end. And usually that's the area that Iman uh, Biggie Marshall occupied. And we'll probably see Elijah Griffin on the left side of the defense, which is for most quarterbacks that are right-handed, that's the dominant side. Mm -hmm. I, ex weeks, I expect to see much of that during the fall camp as they prepare for the season. But right now, since um, Isaac Taylor Stewart missed much of last year, what does this uh, coaching staff do defensively? They put him on the left side so that he can see as many balls as possible and get accustomed to adjusting to those, those different routes and, and, and really trying to accelerate his reps. And, and Coach, uh, we're noticing that across the board. You talked about um, Houston being moved over to the interior middle linebacker spot where he's calling checks. Well, he's playing somewhat out of position, but it should be a position for somebody who's a football savant like him. That's a natural transition. So, and then getting EA on the field, will he play with the same intensity um, that, that we've grown accustomed to seeing him play with? These are things that I know I'm intrigued to watch. What say you? Well, I, I tell you, I think that the, um, you know, the questions about Houston to me, uh, I think he is out of position. Uh, he's about 225 pounds. Uh, I can guarantee you that if I'm on the other team, he's the first person I attack right at it. You know, the Notre Dames, the, the, the Stanford, the Utah will go there, and he will be tested. Uh, the question will be, who's, who's, who's next to him on the inside? Uh, and that's an intriguing part of the uh, next 12 practices. I, I, want, I want to see who he's with. I, I think the, uh, the person that, uh, you know, uh, kind of catches my eye and I, I guess it's because he came in with such uh you know no, notoriety would be uh, Solomon Tuya Pupu uh because I think that if he's healthy and he plays well uh he's going to push for for a spot I I have no doubt about it and uh you know maybe he is the inside linebacker of the future I do I do think that uh, Niati Ote, Ote uh will be fine on the outside I think he plays with passion I don't I, I'm I'm not personally concerned that he's not going to bring it. Uh, I think coming off the edge is perfect for him, like a junior sale. Um, but you know what? You have to wait and see. You got to see if it if that's if that's true and see where where he ends up. And I, and guys, I wouldn't be surprised to see all those middle linebackers kind of flip around and and cross train and and get time at at different spots. But again, if it's just something where it turns out, hey, we wanted Houston to be calling, you know, calling plays and checks and, and making sure everybody's lined up just so that we could get out there and get going quickly uh, the, those first few practices. I, I wouldn't be totally surprised 
if that's the case. But again, Clancy Pendergast, he he specifically said, hey, you don't have those like big body thumper downhill middle linebackers anymore because the game is spread out so far. And Greg, to your point, you are going to get teams that challenge you up the middle. I mean, that does still exist on this USC schedule. So you have to sort of be flexible. And so potentially down the road, now you have that flexibility with some of the, with with the way they're playing some of these linebackers uh, at at Will and at Mike. Um, So I I think that's kind of the look forward. Again, we, we going on three days of practice here. We'll get started again on Tuesday, but before we go, just kind of bringing up, I don't think this is the the elephant in the room. This is potentially the, the pack of elephants in the room uh, right now with USC in the middle of this college admissions scandal. Um, I, I wanted to get your takes on it, Daryl, specifically. I know we were talking a little bit before this, um, and, and this is something that sort of hits home to you. For, for me, when I hear about this, it's just – I mean – I don't know how much more frustrated you can be. It's, it's head shaking. It's one of those things. I know we either all have young kids now or had young kids at one point. And for me, this is just walking into the living room, seeing a mess, sending your kid to the room, to his own room for punishment, going in to check on them and they've destroyed their room too. It's like all you had to do was, was sit there and not do anything. And they just, USC, right now just keeps finding ways to get themselves uh, into this mess. And it's just, like I said, so head-shakingly frustrating um, that, that I, you, know, you, you almost don't even know where to go with it. But Daryl, again, like I said, w- wanted to get to you uh, for, for your thoughts on this. Well, well first of all, um, <clears throat> full disclosure, uh, I'm, I'm married and I have a stepson who – is a high school senior and he applied for USC. So recently we took a high school, I mean, we took our um, college visit to USC. And of course, as a proud uh, alumni, having graduated from there, I wanted him to see all the greatest attributes of USC. And he is applying for the School of Engineering. And we sat in on that meeting and um, one of the administrators in there kind of recognize me as a you know someone who had attended USC and played sports there and made an emphasis to remind me that um, there is no favoritism there is no preferential treatment um, that my son would be um, judged based on the merit of his body of work in high school and in that I could be assured that he would have the same opportunities to attend the university as the next person and that it was highly competitive, blah, 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 blah. But then lo and behold, we see the program under fire right now because of a college admission uh, bribe scandal. And I remember um, one of the senior athletic officials, Donna um, Heinel, who is kind of at the forefront of this scandal, she kind of broke into the athletic department at or around the time when I was there. And, um, you know, kind of made her, uh, built herself up a strong reputation of, of really um, being highly connected with all of the departments. So I don't know enough about it other than what I'm reading. But if what we are reading, if there is some fire to the smoke, boy, oh boy, um, we, you talked about a black eye on this program. My son on our way to school today, as I was dropping him off, asked me this question. It was like, well, how do I get a fair shake? 
if this is what I was competing against. Situations like this, like, yeah, I'm not an athlete, but, you know, if other rosters or if other um, admission spots are being occupied by celebrities or people with money, is this the reality of what I'm facing, uh, you know, trying to get into USC? I yeah, couldn't I mean, answer those questions. I, I think those are questions that a, a lot of people are answering, and it's something where I I would expect this to sort of continue in terms of things coming out and certainly schools addressing their admissions process uh, at this point, probably across the country right now. And obviously USC takes front and center because of the number of, of current and ex-coaches uh, involved in this. And then, like you said, a, a, a senior position um, being involved in it too. Greg, I know, again, you mentioned on Sunday, we'll get a little uh, IMHO from you about this, but why, why don't you give a little uh, uh, opinion on it? A co- couple thoughts on that right now. Well, I think the first thing uh, when it, when it, when this current scandal broke was enough was enough already. I mean, this whole thing is a disgrace. And the reason it's a disgrace is because whether you're uh, the most hardcore USC fan or you're, you know, you're kind of a casual observer, you know, this is not what you want to be focusing on. Uh, Daryl's story is apropos. I had a son uh, uh, several years ago that got interviewed uh, at SC, and we heard the same party line. Uh, and the question is, why? Why are you doing this? Uh, you know, it gives, I, and I, again, I, you know, nobody wants to see SC do any better than I. I will admit that freely. But, you know, it, it, all, it looks both academically and uh, athletically to have a lack of institutional control which I know is the biggest, the biggest development, you know, the NCAA would look at. Uh, I'm not saying that the NCAA is going to come down on SC on this one, uh, but it, it serves thought. How do you have adults setting examples for young people? I mean, when you look at the people that have, how shall I say this, been in charge from Max Nikias resigning uh, to Pat Hayden leaving in disgrace, to Lynn Swan being under scrutiny, uh, questioning his devotion, his discipline, his character. You know, it should never be like this. Uh, you know, it should never be like this. But it is like this. You know, SC is the only program in the two uh, federal investigations that is named in both. The basketball program in the federal uh, scrutiny uh, for the basketball of bribery. And now they're on this one. And it, it is just mind-blowing to me. Uh, you know, it, it's, I don't even know if frustration is the right word. It's just anger. Like, what are you trying to do? It's almost like, are you trying to sabotage your own beloved university? And the rest of us sit around and look at this thing. And you, it's almost like you don't even want to get up in the morning and say, okay, now what are they? What? You know, it's almost like politics. Okay, what's going to be in the news today about, uh, about you know, USC? And I think uh, I speak for all of us. Uh, I think we're all sick of it, okay? We're all sick of it. Go find and name a president. Get somebody in charge who's going to bring accountability to people who obviously, I mean, you're bringing in students that aren't really football players, and you're using the football program as almost a facade to to get people in. Why should the football program get a black eye? Uh, It's trying to resurrect itself. Uh, and we know that with this spring practice, 
Yet here comes the football program for no reason being dragged in because somebody who's not even in football is being told that he's going to be a walk-on uh, punter. Uh, so, you know, we'll let him in. And, you know, the whole thing just reeks. You know, your first thought really is, why don't they just clean the house? Just clean house and start over again. Get the right people, experienced people. Obviously, I'm not in that position. But I would say that most people are, are getting pretty darn uh, sick of it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, again, I know we would sort of hit on this a little bit. I didn't want to end the whole thing on such a, a downer, but I, I I do agree. I mean, at a certain point, like you said, enough is enough. And I, I who who knows who the right guy is, but you just sorry, right person is. Um, but you just you, you need it to happen soon because this is something again every day. At this point, you sort of wake up thinking. All right, what's coming now? Um, and it to me, it's kind of amazing that football, after that five and seven season, after the off season they've had, football is is probably the one thing about USC that has some real momentum going uh, for it right now. And so I think it's one of those things you just kind of cross your fingers, hope nothing comes out before Tuesday when we can get back out on the practice field uh, for for day four of spring ball. Um, so Greg, Daryl, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing all your thoughts here today. Um, we'll check back in next week. Uh, thanks for everybody. Thanks everybody for listening to the We Are SC podcast.